Welcome to the 13th Music Experience session. We hope that you're enjoying the session so far, and today will be no exception as we bring you a session from MISO Experience Partner 3M. I am MISO board member, Dr. Mariana Hoy, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Lisa Davison, who will present Exploring Options to Achieving a Streamlined and Thoughtful Aligner Treatment Design. Dr. Lisa Davison is proud to serve her community's orthodontic need in Powell, Ohio. She opened her practice from scratch to create a welcoming and technologically advanced environment to her, for her patients. She loves learning and continuing to advance her skills in digital orthodontics from utilizing 3M Clarity Aligners to 3D design and printing. Dr. Davison is board certified orthodontist who earned her, who earned her dental degree from New York University in 2007 and orthodontist certificate from Jacksonville University in 2011. Outside of the office, she loves spending time with her family and all, all things outdoors. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Davison. Thank you, Mariana. I'm so excited to be here today. So today I'm gonna to be discussing some aligner treatment options. And what I really want to um, look at is how we can achieve a really thoughtful and streamlined design when we're looking at designing our aligners. So what I'm hoping um, everybody can gain from this presentation is to understand some basics of treatment planning, um, some of the different attachment design and placement, why they work well in certain cases, um, how to plan for refinements and case management. And we're going to walk through several of the clinical cases that I've been treating with 3M Clarity Aligners. And then I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about um, some really cool new things that 3M is coming out with, um, including their new flex material. So 3M is sponsoring this event for us and all of the trademarks and logos that you see are property of their respective owners. So a little bit about my background. Um, first, this is my, my crew. So as Mariana mentioned, um, outside of the office, my biggest joy is spending time with my family. Um, we love to do all sorts of things outdoors from kayaking and biking to skiing. So this is you know, really what brings me the most joy outside of treating my patients. And as Mariana mentioned, I completed my uh, dental school training at NYU University in 2007. After that, I moved out west to Arizona for a little adventure and practiced general dentistry for two years. This was a really valuable experience for me in being able to understand interdisciplinary treatment planning. And it really gives me a different perspective when I'm working with um, some of the other specialists and with my general dentist on some of these more difficult cases. After that, I went on to Jacksonville University, home of the Dolphins, where I achieved my certificate in orthodontics. And then I moved back to Ohio, so made the little trip around the country and started practicing as an associate for a few years. This was also an amazing experience. Um, being able to work with another orthodontist and having that mentorship was really wonderful in helping me gain a lot of clinical knowledge as well as um, management skills. So a few years after associating, I decided to open my own practice and I did that from scratch in 2014. And then I decided to go ahead and become board certified, which is an excellent experience and I highly recommend it for any of you that are considering it. 
So as far as my journey with aligners, um, a lot of you probably have a similar journey where you learned a lot about Invisalign in dental school or in residency. And you know we were really lucky in my residency to be able to treat um, as many cases as we wanted with aligners. And one of the things that I kind of thought was interesting was, you know, what can I do with plastic? What can I do with aligners outside of just using a traditional um, lab style appliance? And so I would do a little bit of um, kind of dabbling with plaster models and doing a little bit of retreatment with Essex on some of the patients that had come back that had maybe not done so well in retention. So it was really interesting to see, you know, how we could utilize the plastic. And I just continue to become more and more interested in being able to utilize it in my own practice once I uh, graduated. One of the reasons that I decided to start with Clarity Aligners um, was really is that it was an easy transition for me. I was already exclusively using 3M's products. I knew that their products were really well made, that there was really excellent design, excellence in the research and development that goes into developing these products. And so I felt that comfort level in being able to try something new from a company that I trusted. I also knew that the customer service 3M has always been phenomenal and I'll tell a little story in a moment, uh, but really the driving factor to looking to try something new is that aligner costs have continued to rise, which I know a lot of you are experiencing. And I wanted to be able to offer my patients something that would still treat their occlusions well without having to pass on such a high cost to them. So as I mentioned, I have a really great story about 3M's customer service being phenomenal. And when I first started using Clarity Aligners, I felt like everything was going really well. You know, I felt like it was very similar to what I was used to with previous aligner products. And I had noticed um, kind of some things in the treatment planning that were coming up that weren't really flowing the way that I was hoping. And so I went ahead and reached out to 3M and ended up getting a phone call back with like six to eight people, including their clinical director, wanting to understand really how they could best serve um, the clinicians that were utilizing their product. And I was just really impressed that um, they wanted to go above and beyond and make sure that the product they were providing was working well in the hands of the clinicians that were using it. So as far as establishing an aligner protocol, this is something I've really worked through the last few years as we've incorporated more aligner treatment into our practice, because I wanted something that was gonna be really predictable, easy for my staff to implement, and something that would just be um, easy for my patients to understand as well. So the main goals of this are to streamline our treatment planning process. So to be able to make those treatment designs a little bit easier, um, more repeatable, um, more efficient. Again, ease of delegation and execution of design, meaning that I want my team to feel comfortable and confident and be able to know that every time this patient's coming in, we're gonna give them X number of aligners. Here's what's going well. Here's what we need to watch for. I've also found that with establishing a protocol that we've become much more efficient in our treatment. Um, and you'll see as I walk through things, what I mean by that. It's allowed me to treat a wider variety of cases. So some more complex cases that maybe in the past um, I wouldn't have been as comfortable treating, but as we've streamlined this process, I found that it's easier to tackle some of these more challenging cases. And then I also find that it helps us to set 
proper expectations with our patients as far as what to expect in terms of refinements and tracking. And again, having your team on board with this is really helpful. So first thing that I really wanted to determine um, for my practice was how often I'm seeing these patients. And if I'm seeing them every eight or 10 or 12 weeks or whatever works for you, um, I'd like to request those aligners in sets of, for me personally, sets of 10 plus four. So if I'm seeing them every 10 weeks, we're giving out 10 trays at a time. That extra four trays at the end will give me a little bit of wiggle room when we send out for our refinement. Or if the patient happens to lose or break a tray, it gives us an extra few to work with. If we're treating a more mild case and I'm seeing the patient more frequently just to make sure we're tracking a little bit better and I'm seeing them more like every six weeks, I'm requesting 14 to 15 aligners at a time. As far as how often we're having our patients change their aligners, you really wanna look at for you what you're most comfortable with in terms of, are you wanting them to change weekly, 10 days, 14 days? For us, we choose a weekly protocol. I find that it's easier for the patients to remember when they're changing their aligners. It also allows the aligners to be a little bit fresher um, for some of our adult patients who maybe drink coffee or tea and aren't rinsing or brushing well before placing their aligners. Um, they find that it's nice to have a nice fresh aligner to open each week. And there's also a little bit um, behind the psychology of feeling like you're putting in something new, you feel the pressure, you feel like it's doing something. So I've had a lot of good feedback from patients that you know each week when they're changing their aligner, they do feel like something's happening. So it keeps them more motivated. With weekly changes, you do wanna make sure that you are controlling your velocity. So certain movements, we really like to slow down if we're doing a weekly aligner change. In particular, if I'm doing intrusion to open a deep bite or we're doing some extrusion to close an open bite, um, distalization movements, things like that. I find that if you don't slow down the velocity of these movements with weekly changes, you'll tend to find that your trays aren't tracking quite as well. Other things that we look at are prioritizing some of our movements. So is it more important for me to begin my AP correction right away, or do I want to work on derotating some of the posterior teeth? Sometimes you'll find you have some bicuspids that are rotated. And so some of the things I look at when I'm treatment planning are how much of one particular correction I'm needing to do and what I want to get a jump start on first. Torquing anterior teeth and distalization, particularly in those class two div two patients, I really find these are movements that don't work too well concurrently. So I try to pick which one is more important in what I'm trying to achieve. And so I'll either start with torquing the anterior or I'll start with my distalization movement. And again, a lot of that's gonna be case dependent. One thing that I think, you know, a lot of practitioners early on in learning how to effectively use aligners is knowing that you have to create a little bit of an interproximal space if you're doing any sort of derotation or extrusion. So particularly on maxillary laterals, you'll find that if you don't create that little bit of extra interproximal space, you get some binding. And so your movements won't execute the way that you're anticipating. And then as far as refinements, you know, I think it helps to have an idea of what to anticipate. And for most of our cases, you know, the more mild to moderate cases, we anticipate that we'll do one refinement. 
and helping the patient to understand that, you know, they may expect one to two refinements during treatment so that they know what to expect and they're not getting too excited when they see, oh, I have 34 trays and now I'm going to be all done. Um, in the more complex cases, when we're doing space closure for extractions or opening space for implants, some of those cases I do anticipate that I'm going to do two to three refinements just to get um, the root uprighting and parallelism that can become a little bit more difficult with a liner treatment. When you're sending out for your refinement, again, I'd like to have four extra trays as a buffer. Um, you can choose if you want to make those passive or active during that time that you're waiting for your aligners to come back. Personally, I leave them as active. I feel like those movements are so minor that you're not going to have a bit of an issue with the trays fitting when you have them return. And there are plenty of practitioners who just ask, leave those last trays as passive so you don't have movement. So you really just have to find your comfort level with that. And then I do ask the patients during that time to just slow the duration of their tray changes for that month while we're waiting for the new aligners to return. And so we just say if they can, you know, back it down to 10 to 14 days. Some other things that I think are really helpful are kind of figuring out the best way to finish some of these cases and, you know, making it efficient so that you're not necessarily sending out a refinement for a really small degree of rotation um, or a little bit of, you know, adjustment that you need in terms of alignment. So I really like to use these aligner pliers. I find that they're really helpful. And what I'll ask is that the patient, when they come in for their final scan and they have just two to three aligners left, that they bring all of their aligners. And that way, if I have to make an adjustment, I can just repeat this adjustment on the aligner for each of those sequential trays. Um, other things that we sometimes do for finishing, if we have a tooth that needs a little bit of extrusion, um, a little bit of correction there, we'll just put on a couple of buttons and elastics and same idea where we'll cut out for those buttons and just make sure that the patient brings them to that appointment. So let's take a look at a case before we dive into some of the attachment protocol, just to you know, look at kind of a straightforward case that a lot of us would be pretty comfortable treating and to see how it plays out really nicely when you have your mechanics set up properly. So this first patient is a class two deep pipe patient who needs some space created for an implant. And you can see when we look at her pictures here, she is missing her lower left five. And her main concern is that she's starting to have some shifting of her teeth. And when we look at her diagnosis, she has a little bit of a class three occlusion on the right and a class two div two type of occlusion on the left with a deep overbite a narrow maxillary arch, mild maxillary and mandibular crowding, and again, she's missing her lower left five. So our plan for this patient is to go ahead and improve her arch form and alignment. We wanna get her into a class one occlusion, improve her deep bite, primarily through lower incisor intrusion. Um, when we look at a case like this, and I'm gonna back up for a second, one of the first things I look at is the position of the upper incisors. And I really wanna be careful, you know, when we're talking about smile design to not mess up the great things we have going. So we like, for the most part, where her upper incisors are, she can use maybe a small amount of intrusion, but we wanna protect that nice smile arc. The other goal we have is to create space for her implant for her lower left five. So we're gonna plan on doing, um, 
weekly changes with her aligners. We're going to do a 10 aligner interval, and we're going to start her elastics on that second appointment. And then in her case, we're going to scan for a refinement and any sort of IPR I need to do at that point, we're going to address. And then at the completion of her treatment, obviously, we're going to take off her attachments. And in her case, we did this in eight visits. So looking at her treatment design, what our goals are going to be are, again, just a small amount of intrusion of her upper incisors. So upper ones are going to be intruded slightly, some extrusion of her upper laterals. And what we're doing for our attachments here, we're using a diagonal beveled attachment to um, kind of get a hold of that lateral a little bit better. We also want to make sure that we're adding some distal crown tip to her lower right one and mesial crown, trip, crown tip to her lower left one and using that same diagonal attachment just to kind of give us a little pushing surface. With her bite opening mechanics, again, we're looking primarily to intrude her lower incisors. And so you'll see in an upcoming slide where we have a lateral view, we like to use some nice big horizontal attachments in the posterior to back up those mechanics and to back up our anchorage. We'll work on her midline correction with some elastics. So here's the lateral view. And again, what we're going to be doing is using some nice large horizontal attachments to get that bite opening and some different shaped attachments for some root upgrading. And we'll go ahead and take a look at her initial treatment design. So you can see here in the treatment design, again, some nice arch development, arch expansion, some intrusion of the lower incisors, creating space for that implant on the lower left side and getting our AP bite correction. And here's a nice lateral view of that leveling of the lower curve of speed. And in a lot of these cases, I'll do a little bit of overcorrection when it comes to leveling the lower curve of speed, knowing that the plastic is not going to behave the same way that traditional orthodontic appliances do. And so looking at some of these movements, the biggest movements that we see are some rotational movements, again, creating space for the lower left five and um, getting that light opening. And so here's her progress at seven months. You can see we're getting some nice leveling, some nice light opening. And our goal at this point is just to fine tune the alignment and get a little bit more, bit more space for her implant. And this is her initial scan versus the refinement scan. So this is where you can actually see what we've achieved so far. And here's our final. So she was treated in 14 months with 59 aligners. We had her change weekly. And again, we did one refinement scan. And looking at a best fit overlay, you can see um, from the lateral view, that bite opening. Some nice creation of space for the lower left five implant. Resolution of her crowding as well as some arch development. And leveling of the lower curve of speed. And here's an overlay of her initial and final scans. And this is, you can really see the leveling and alignment in this um, overlay. And again, her initial and final photos. 
So really great result, treated out really easily and effectively, again, in just over 14 months. Um, obviously, compliance is key, and having a patient who wears their trays well um, certainly helps, but having the right mechanics set up from the beginning will also help you to be more efficient and effective in your treatment. And so let's take a look a little bit more at, you know, different types of attachments that we like to use after seeing this case. So again, um, when correcting deep bites, I really like to use a lot of these large horizontal attachments in the posterior. Um, I am not afraid to use attachments. I, I really like, you know, we have big movements and big bite correction. Don't be shy about using attachments. They're really just going to help you achieve your goal a little bit better. And with open bites, we're going to use some larger horizontal attachments in the anterior um, and sometimes in the posterior, depending on what area we're moving. So with open bites, of course, you know, again, you're looking at the smile design. Do we need more anterior extrusion? Are we looking for most more posterior intrusion? And so the placement of those attachments is going to vary depending on that. Um, if we're looking for more posterior intrusion, I'm going to have more attachments on the bicuspid area. With AP correction, personally, I primarily do it through elastics. I will sometimes utilize some distalization movements if we have a large amount of AP correction that we need. When I am doing that, I am looking at some nice long vertical attachments. And for me, for elastics, I really like to utilize button cutouts. And so we utilize traditional, um, just small metal or ceramic buttons, which you'll see in an upcoming slide. And I find that those give us a lot of control over what we're doing. So when we're utilizing different auxiliaries, again, for elastics, primarily I'm using buttons. And buttons come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and all sorts of different materials. If it's in an area where it's not an aesthetic zone, I tend to use the metal buttons. They tend to adhere really well. We don't have a lot of failures with them, and they're really inexpensive. When we have a more aesthetic area, so in particular, if I'm having to place a button on, you know, an anterior tooth or even an upper bicuspid, I'll tend to do that more in a ceramic. Um, one of the things that I like to do with my buttons when I'm doing class two correction, if I have enough clearance, I do like to hide those um, buttons on the upper threes on the lingual surface. So again, you get the aesthetic component, which is nice but you also get a little bit of arch development or expansion in the maxilla. And I find that a lot of times in our class two patients, they need that. They tend to be a little bit more narrow in the canine and bicuspid area. And so getting that lateral development is really helpful. Another option for elastic placement is to use hooks. And you can see in the picture here what a hook would look like where it's incorporated into your aligner. I'll utilize these for more minor AP correction. Um, again, I tend to want something that's a little bit sturdier for doing some bigger corrections. And then I love buttons for rotation. So, you know, you have these patients sometimes that come in and they want aligners and they have these teeth that are in really awkward, you know, ectopic positions. And so I find that utilizing um, some buttons and just some traditional chain is really helpful to derotate them. And so we can either start derotation before we even start our aligners, or we can just have button cutouts placed in the aligners to accommodate for this. Oftentimes, that's what I do. I have the button cutouts placed. I'm giving the patients, again, 10 aligners at a time. And so I may have them for some of these um, situations, if we're doing space closure derotations, just pop in at the five-week mark to have their chain changed 
And it's really quick. The assistant sees them. I pop over and see them and just make sure everything's tracking well. Um, but that keeps their you know, progress on track. So again, some special considerations um, when we're talking about extruding laterals. These are the teeth that tend to be the trickiest for a lot of us um, when we're dealing with those extrusive or derotation movements. I like to put some nice, big, heavy-duty attachments. So I'm looking for one that's about four millimeters wide, and I tend to do about a millimeter deep. And creating that interproximal space first is really important. Avoiding certain movements that cause too much deflection in the plastic. So again, your distalization and anterior torque, those aren't movements that really work too well concurrently. And so I tend to you know, prioritize one because I do find that you get too much deflection and then we lose track or we get cracking. And then, um, you know, utilizing brackets as needed. Don't be afraid in these cases to either put brackets on at the beginning or the end. Um, I take a look at some of those things and kind of set the expectation for patients, you know, in particular class two, div two type of patient. I might say, well, let's put brackets on for three or four months and just get a little bit of torque before we get going. It's gonna make my mechanics easier. It's gonna make the treatment go a little bit quicker for the patient as well. So the second case and some of these cases moving forward are gonna be some of the more complex cases. And I think it's really neat to see what we can achieve with plastics and with aligners. And this patient is really concerned about her open bite. And this is something that she's been concerned with for a long time. Um, she's very you know, aesthetically motivated. And so she really wants to try to do a liner treatment if she can. And you can see when we look at her open bite, she's pretty much open from bicuspid to bicuspid with some asymmetry. And so when we look at her facial analysis and her smile analysis, she's pretty close to class one skeletal and dental with a maxillary cant and some facial asymmetry. Again, we have a anterior and a lateral open bite. Now, one of the good things we have going for us is that she does have deficient maxillary tooth display. So that's gonna help us. We can get some extrusion of those upper incisors as we're trying to get her bite closed. She does have a very narrow maxillary arch, almost borderline you know, crossbite on that right side. We have mild crowding, and then she has upright upper and lower incisors. And you can see she's got a really thin gingival biotype and we already have recession in some areas. And so this is you know, a case that can be a little bit tricky whether you're treating with traditional fixed mechanics or with aligners because you know you need to get some lateral expansion and we're already dealing with a thin biotype. So for this patient, we gave her a couple of different options. And we talked about you know, orthognathic surgery in, in combination with orthodontics is really gonna give us the most ideal outcome. Um, one of the other things we talked about as an option was doing corticotomy facilitated orthodontics to help with some of those extrusive movements and to create more stability. Or we could try traditional orthodontic treatment without any surgical intervention. But we know that there's going to be much less stability in this case. And so this is something that, you know, we really walk through with her. What are our goals? What are we okay with as far as compromises? And she wanted to have a really nice outcome and long-term stability, but orthognathic surgery was just off the table for her. So we also looked at different you know, considerations when we were deciding on aligners versus fixed mechanics. And again, she's really concerned about the aesthetics. 
One of the things that I like about aligners in an open bite patient is that we tend to have a little bit more control of the vertical. You do naturally get some posterior intrusion just from the plastic being in between the two arches. And so it does help to give us some of that posterior intrusion we need. And then ease of use. Um, for this patient, she travels a lot. She speaks a lot. She wants to have something that's easy to use, uh, that she's not going to have a lot of emergencies with, and again, something that's more aesthetic. And so in her case, we've decided to go ahead and do a surgical corticotomy in combination with orthodontic treatment. And one of the things that I think was really beneficial about choosing this route for her is that we were able to have our periodontist do the corticotomy in conjunction with bone and gum tissue grafting. And so that allowed us to really bulk up that tissue where we needed it, as we were concerned about some of her um, recession and tendency towards more recession. So we treated this just you know, very similarly to a fixed um, appliance patient who would go through a surgical corticotomy where we're going to speed up the movement initially. And so when we look at the literature, we find that shortly after corticotomies, you have the regional accelerator phenomenon, and that's effective really in the first few months up to six months. So we're going to have her change these aligners every two days for the first six weeks, and then we're going to slow it down to three days for the next few weeks and then we're gonna to go to weekly changes at week nine. And so here's a look at her treatment design. And again, setting the expectation, we have a lot of attachments here. And she knew if she was doing aligners, we were going to have a lot of attachments to be able to achieve our goal. So nice big horizontal attachments to help in the bite closure, some anterior elastics right off the bat to help to get those anterior teeth to extrude. And then we have a couple of um, more vertical attachments for some of our rotations and some of our root uprighting. And so our goals are going to be um, to get some bite closure through anterior extrusion, to also get some posterior intrusion to help with closing the bite. We're going to work on getting a little bit of lateral development or expansion, especially in the maxilla. And we'll work on some midline correction with some um, elastics. And so here's a look at her treatment design. And you can see that nice lateral development there. You can see that we're getting some nice extrusion of the anterior, intrusion of the posterior. And again, this is gonna look really exaggerated in your treatment design because you're planning to overcorrect some of these movements. So our biggest movements again are gonna be extrusion of the anterior and intrusion of the posterior. And I just want to show you um, her post-surgical. So this is really just a few weeks after her surgery was completed, um, how much we've already gotten some great extrusion in the anterior with her elastics and her aligners. And even one month after that, you can see we've already achieved some positive overbite. And we take a pan at this point just to make sure that we're staying stable with our bone. And our first progress refinement at six months, you can see that we've got some really nice overbite. Um, we have some torque issues that we're gonna have to address with the anterior teeth and some minor alignment. But this is, you know, for a liner treatment six months and this is a great result. And so we decided to do another refinement scan at 10 months. Again, continuing to work on some of the alignment and torque considerations. And we're getting a little bit open in the posterior on the right side here. So you can see this is her initial scan versus her 10-month second refinement scan. 
And I have some um, great progress just to show you guys here. So her initial versus her progress last October, you can see that nice um, bite closure that we've gotten through anterior extrusion and posterior intrusion. Some nice lateral views. Occlusal view is showing you arch development. And so here's our overlays looking at, again, our initial malocclusion um, with our refinement scan. And you can see, again, the extrusion of the anterior teeth here. And I have some progress photos on her. So here's her photos as of March. Um, at this point, we had taken all of her attachments off. We had some minor things that we were tweaking and just trying to get some bite closure. So she's really just wearing her aligners and elastics at night. Um, she, at this point, is ready to complete treatment. Um, we're just working on getting her back in because, as I mentioned, she has a very busy travel schedule. So we're just kind of holding her steady where she is and just fine-tuning a couple of things. And so we can see, you know, just from her initial progress at 14 months and progress at 16 months. This third case is an interdisciplinary case on a teenage patient. And his main concern was that he has some missing teeth. And when we look at his diagnosis, you can see that he has a class three skeletal component. He's really compensated with those lower incisors being retroclined. We have a little bit of a vertical skeletal component to deal with as well. Now his malocclusion is pretty close to class one in his posterior segments. We are missing his upper right two and lower right five. And we have an undersized upper left two. He has moderate upper spacing and moderate lower crowding and upright upper and lower incisors. And we looked at a couple of different options for this patient. Um, one option was to extract the undersized upper left two, close all the upper spacing via canine substitution. Another option was to do that same plan. And in addition to that, extract the lower right E and lower left five and close all of the spacing. And the third option was to create space for implants for the two missing teeth and for a restoration on the upper left two. Now, this patient decided, and they had been working with their dentist for years, they really wanted to do restorations. They really wanted a fuller smile. Um, he wanted ideal aesthetics. And so he wanted to go ahead and make space for the implants and for restorations on both of the upper laterals. So we're gonna scan him and get him ready. And we're gonna start our aligners and elastics right off the bat. And we're gonna have him doing weekly aligner changes. Now, when we do our first refinement scan, we have a tooth that's starting to not track, and you'll see that as we walk through his case. And um, we just slowed him down for a little bit to 10-day changes during that time until we could kind of recapture what we needed to. Overall, we did three refinement scans on him, and it took us a total of 12 visits. So looking at our treatment design, again, we're looking at opening up space for an implant on the upper right too space for restoration on the upper left two, and we're gonna maintain the lower right E at this time. And when we look at our design, we're gonna utilize um, some attachments for some of the rotations and upgrading that we need. And we're gonna utilize some elastics, like I said, um, right off of the bat. So we're gonna to look to get a little bit of class two correction on the right side and a little bit of class three collection, correction on the left side. So looking at his occlusal view, you can see that we're developing 
both arches, the upper arch were making space for the restorations and the lower arch were developing and aligning the lower teeth. And so our big movements here are gonna be to get some improvement in the buccal lingual inclination of the upper and lower anterior teeth. And you can see that we have a pretty big rotation on this lower right three to contend with. And so looking at his progress here, you can see we've gotten that lower right three into a much better position. And as I mentioned previously, we started to lose tracking here on the upper right three. Now, I mentioned I really like to utilize these buttons on the lingual surface, and generally they work really well. We don't see this flaring. And what I learned from his case is that when you are missing a tooth here, you have a little bit too much flexibility in the aligner that can cause you to lose some of that torque control if you're utilizing an elastic from the lingual surface. So if I had to do this case again, um, I would probably opt to put the, um, the elastic attachment on the facial surface for him. And so our refinement goals are gonna to be to continue to open space for that upper right two, correct the torque on that upper right three, continue our AP correction and alignment. And so here we can see our initial and our refinement scan and our proposed plan. And we're gonna utilize um, a little bit of a vertical elastic here to recapture that upper right three, as well as a horizontal attachment. And there's our occlusal view. And here's our second scan. So we're starting to recapture that upper right three. We still have a little bit of torque that we need to work on. And in particular, um, moving forward, I really wanna work on getting the root divergence I need for implant placement for the upper right two. And you can see here on his pan, needing to upright the roots of the upper right one and upper right three. So for his second refinement, I tried to utilize these smaller attachments, um, trying to create kind of a counter movement. Um, and I'll tell you when you see my, my next scan, I really think we would have been better utilizing a large vertical attachment. So now when I tend to do some of these root movements, I'm going for a bulkier vertical attachment. It gives me a little bit more control. This helped me in upgrading a bit, but it just didn't give me as much control as I was hoping for. And so you can see our proposed plan here, again, continuing to make space for that implant. And here we are at our third refinement scan. So we had been closed for the COVID closure for several months and this patient's leaving for college now in August. So we've got three months to try to get him finished up the best we can. So we get him scanned. Um, we're working on that last little bit of divergence and we're gonna get him um, finished up and off to school. So you can see at this point, we switched to those vertical attachments. And in those two and a half to three months, we were able to get quite a bit of improvement in the position of those roots. So we've gone through three refinement scans on him. Had I been a little bit more efficient with my mechanics, I think we could have easily gotten there in two refinements. We did weekly changes, and this is 22 months into treatment. We do still have two to four years before implant placement. And whether this is an aligner patient, or a fixed patient, um, I always set the expectation with them that there is a chance we may have to go in right before the implant's placed and just do a little bit of fine tuning and uprighting of those teeth. And so if we have to do this for this patient, we'll just scan him, get him aligners for like three to six months before the implant's placed and get things into the right spot. 
And so looking at our initial versus our final, you can see the good arch development that we got, creating space for the restorations, alignment of the lower. And when we look at our overlays, again, getting that arch development and space we need. And looking at his initial versus his final. So you can see on the final here, we have a really nice restoration done by his general dentist, um, making that upper left tube look really natural and beautiful. We delivered a holly for him, and you'll see on the next slide for these patients that are missing teeth, we really like to give them two retainers um, for two reasons. One, um, I like to give them options. Some of them like an Essex with a Pontic better, and some of them like the holly better. And the biggest thing is I really would hate to have a patient, especially a teenage or college age patient calling me on a Saturday night saying they threw out their retainer and they don't have a front tooth. So we always have a backup option for them. And you can see on the left side, here's our Holly appliance with the Pontic. On the right side, we do a 3D uh, simulation of a Pontic using mesh mixer. And then we create our Essex off of that. And we just fill it with uh, traditional composite material. Looking at our fourth case, this is another really unique case where we are dealing with some skeletal asymmetry and a um, pretty significant crossbite. This patient presents with concerns about her bite being off and she really wants something more aesthetic. She really is trying to avoid going into brackets and looking at all of her restorations, as good as some of our um, bonding products are now, this is just not a great, real easy case to bond brackets to. Um, we have a couple of things to contend with here as far as the restorations. And you can see here on this close up, we have fixed bridges on the upper right and lower right segments. This patient, when we look at her facial profile and her analysis, she has a class three skeletal component with a vertical increase and some skeletal asymmetry. We have some class three malocclusion. Again, we have those fixed bridges to contend with. She has an edge-to-edge -edge overjet and shallow overbite. We have a posterior and anterior crossbite with mild maxillary crowding and mild mandibular spacing. And so our goals for her are going to be to correct the anterior crossbite. We are going to leave some of that posterior crossbite in place, again, because of the fixed bridges. We're going to improve her overbite and her overjet, and we're going to close the lower space. So, one of the unique things in this case about utilizing aligners is that we were really able to isolate the bridges to either choose to move them not at all or to move them very minimally. And in her case, I chose to do a small amount of movement just to try to bring the upper right posterior segment out buckly slightly. Um, and what we did is we moved them as a unit so that we didn't cause any untoward um, torquing effects on the two abutment teeth. So in her first visit, we're going to start aligners and elastics right away. And she was, before I had really established a protocol, so we had her on an eight-week aligner interval, which I'm glad we did because I was able to actually see, you know, her case kind of track really well since we were seeing her a little more frequently. She had one refinement scan and a total of six visits. And here's her initial malocclusion and her initial design. And you can see we're utilizing a lot of those horizontal attachments. In her case, she needs a little bit of extrusion of those upper anterior teeth. She was a little bit deficient in her tooth display. And we need some uprighting and retraction of the lower anterior segment as well. 
to correct her crossbite, we're going to utilize a cross elastic on this right side. And we're going to utilize a class three elastic on the left side just to get her into a better classification. And so here's a look at her initial and her planned treatment. Now on the lingual of the lower right two and three, those are not really attachments. I utilize these almost as little bite ramps. So just kind of bumping out the plastic so that when she was occluding, it just opened her up slightly. And so again, the biggest movements are gonna be correcting some of the um, buccal lingual inclination and uh, position of the lower incisors. So having that space and being able to retract those is gonna help us in getting that anterior crossbite corrected. And here's a look at her treatment design. And you can see we're getting some nice extrusion of the anterior teeth and crossbite correction. And here we are at our progress seven months in. We're getting to a really good position as far as her anterior occlusion, um, getting the crossbite corrected and just a little bit of fine tuning that we'll need to do on the left side with her class three malocclusion. So we're gonna work on continuing to fine tune her alignment and getting a little bit more transverse correction. We'd also like to see a little bit more overbite just to keep her a little more stable. And so here's our initial versus our progress and our proposed plan. And I wanna point out on this lower right three that obviously she wore her elastics really well and you see this in your fixed patients sometimes, you get over rotation of the teeth. Um, most of the time we can recover from this without a problem, whether it's you know with fixed mechanics or with aligners. And in her case, um, we just kind of slowed down how often she was wearing her elastics on that side and utilized our refinement scan to recapture that. And so here we are at our final. And you can see that we were able to uh, effectively regain the position on that lower right three and get it into a better position. And so she went through a total of 40 trays over 12 months and she was changing them weekly and we had one refinement scan. And here you can see her initial versus her final scan, getting some nice upper arch development, getting that lower incisor retraction, getting positive overbite extrusion of the upper incisors and the crossbite correction. And here's her overlay. And again, you can see those um, movements that we just talked about. And here's her initial versus her final. So a huge change in her smile presence. Again, we were able to get a little bit more incisor show um, and it's just such a change for this patient. This next patient was um, concerned about a missing tooth on her upper right quadrant. So she had a retained baby tooth. And she was also concerned that her upper right three was more protrusive. So when you look at her photos here, you can see we have an upper right E that's over-retained, um, missing upper right five. She's also missing a lower incisor. And looking at her diagnosis, she's pretty close to a class one malocclusion. She has the missing teeth we just discussed, a facially displaced upper right three, she has moderate upper and mild lower crowding, and she has a little bit of a midline shift. So our goals are gonna to be to uh, improve her overall arch form and alignment, get her into a class one occlusion. We're gonna go ahead and extract the upper right E and close the space for the upper right five. Uh, 
the nice thing about doing this, obviously, she's going to be able to avoid an implant in the future, but it's going to give us a space that we need to effectively retract that upper right three into the correct position. So we are going to um, start her aligners and her elastics right away. And we were seeing her on a six-week basis because we were doing that space closure. And you'll see um, that we utilize some buttons and chains. So we wanted to see her frequently enough to change out the chains. We started her elastics on that second visit. And um, we did a little bit of IPR on the upper arch. So again, with that missing lower incisor, we kind of had a built-in Bolton. And so we wanted to get the best fit that we could and we compensated by doing upper anterior IPR. She had two refinement scans and um, 13 total visits. So looking at her treatment design, again, we're gonna extract this upper right E. We're going to retract the upper right three and four, a little bit of protraction of the upper right six and improvement in alignment. So we're gonna utilize some buttons and chain to get the space closed and utilize some elastics as well. And you can see here, we're gonna utilize a class two elastic on the right side and a class three elastic on the left side. This class two elastic is gonna help us in retracting the upper right three. So looking at her treatment design here, here's our proposed treatment with removing the upper right E. And space closure, again, we're retracting upper right three, four and protracting the upper right six, seven. And we're utilizing some nice vertical attachments here to aid in that space closure. Now in the upper right seven, I had a little bit of a diagonal attachment here trying to gain more root control. Um, again, going back, I would do this as a vertical attachment initially. And if we needed to do any root uprighting, I would change it to a diagonal at a refinement scan. And you will see in just a few moments why I said that. Um, biggest movements are going to be space closure. So mesialization of the um, posterior segment on the right side and retraction of the upper right three and four. And so here we are at our progress scan. Um, space closure is happening nicely here, but we're getting some definite uh, mesial crown tip on the upper right posterior segment. So we're starting to lose traction and the trays are not properly seating in this area. So at this point, I decided to do a refinement scan. I wanna get better traction here. I want to get some mesial root tip on both of those teeth and just kind of regain um, our game plan. And you can see here again, we need some mesial root tip. So here's our initial, our progress and our proposed plan. And you can see we also need to bring this mesial cusp down a little bit and get a improved occlusion here. So in our first plan, um, we went ahead and also added a uh, vertical elastic on that right posterior segment. And you'll see in the upcoming photo um, where I ended up putting the button here would have been better served, making it more mesial just to give you a little bit more momentum on that mesial buckle cusp. And so here we are at her refinement scan. Again, um, position of this button would have been better served if we would have moved it more mesially, but we've gotten some um, extrusion of this area. We're starting to get some bite closure there and we're just gonna work on uprighting those teeth. Now, just like our previous patient, she is back in in May right after we've opened from our COVID closure and she's leaving for college in August. So we've got to try to get as much as we can done before she heads out. So we're just gonna change up some of our attachment and elastic design. 
and I'll show you what our plan is here. So we're going to utilize some elastics on the upper right six, seven to the lower right six and try to extrude these and bring down those mesial cusps. And here we are um, right before she heads off to college. So we did a total of two refinement scans, weekly changes. She finished at tray 56 of 63. Obviously, we wanted to see a little bit more improvement, um, 14 months into treatment. And we had her come back this summer and she's working on getting a little bit of correction. So I will hopefully have some great progress the next time I have a presentation like this um, to show you that we were able to go back in and get some fine tuning. And we can look at her results here, showing her initial, her proposed, and her um, final. And you can see we're able to get that upper right three tucked in really beautifully for her. Here's our lateral view, our occlusal view, and our overlays. And you can see her initial versus final. So let's switch gears here and talk about some new exciting things. So 3M has just rolled out with their new flex aligners. Um, it's a unique five layer material with increased flexibility. It has sustained force levels and it has really nice attachment engagement. So the cool thing is with the traditional 3M Clarity aligners that we've been using, which is what we're referring to now as force, we can really choose between using these two aligner systems. So you can either choose to utilize it as a dual aligner system. So we'll use flex for certain movements and force for certain movements in any given case, or you can choose to utilize each one individually. And again, this is gonna depend on the case that we're treating. So it really gives us more options as clinicians in what we're treating, how we're treating, um, it's really nice to be able to give our patients, you know, some different options too in how they're experiencing their aligners. And so I want to go through a couple of things about the material and then I'll show you some cases that we've gotten to do. So again, we have two different aligner systems that we can work with. We have the 3M Clarity Aligner Flex and the 3M uh, Clarity Aligner Force. All of the cases that you've seen so far in my presentation were treated with the force. Now with the ability to incorporate the flex material as well, we have more control over certain movements that maybe are better suited with a more flexible aligner design. And I'll show you one of those cases coming up. So when you're looking at making the decision, it's really up to you as the clinician. And you can decide if, again, you wanna use both aligner systems and start with the flex or start with the force, or if you just wanna do all of one aligner system. So with the flex material, it's something that you can utilize on its own as well. It doesn't have to be utilized in combination. It's a really uh, strong, uh, resilient material. And so when you're looking at designing your aligners, you're gonna input what choices you want. So again, are you using a combination? If your case is gonna be a really straightforward, mild case, you're just gonna choose to utilize one of the aligner systems. If you're utilizing more than 10 trays, so in a more moderate to complex case, that's where you get to input your choice. Once you submit that, your 3M design team is gonna work with you to create a design and um, utilize the material for whatever movement it's best suited to. And we'll kind of walk through that in a moment. And then you'll get to make any revisions and approve your case as you see fit. 
So again, looking at this, if it's going to be a more straightforward, mild case, you're only going to utilize one single material. And if it's going to be a more advanced case, you have the option of utilizing one or both materials. What we're finding with Flex and a lot of the patients we've been treated is that it's really helpful with some of the more stubborn rotation type of movements, with engagement of some of those tricky laterals. And I find that for some of my adult patients who have really unique anatomy, um, larger embrasures, larger undercuts, it's really nice to start with the Flex material because it has a little bit more give to it. I find that it's a little more comfortable as an initial material to get them used to the aligners. Um, sometimes I find because the force is a little bit more rigid that some of those patients might struggle at the beginning. So a lot of the feedback I've received so far is that the patients are really liking how that flex material feels. And so it's an easy way to kind of guide them into their aligner treatment. So this is a look at what you would see when you're doing your treatment design. You would see underneath your aligners, a series of circles and squares. And that's where you're gonna see your transition from your flex material into your force or vice versa. So your team is gonna work with you to help you design which aligner is gonna work best for certain type of movements. Again, we're finding with the flex, it's really good for rotation. It's really good for engaging some of those more difficult um, extrusive movements. For the force, again, with it being a rigid material, we find that the force is really great at arch development. It's really helpful in torquing movements, and it's helpful in some of those larger AP corrections. So when we look at the flex material, we can see that it has excellent force duration. As I mentioned, my patients were finding it was very easy to insert and remove. We're getting really nice engagement with some of the attachments, which you'll see in one of my cases coming up and it's stain and scratch resistant. So when you look at the material, it's a unique design with five different layers. And those outer layers um, really have that nice scratch resistant to them. They're very durable. And the inner layers are a little bit more flexible. And that's what gives it that unique design. So this next case, this is a very straightforward case, but one of the things, again, that I find a lot of us struggle with are those displace lateral incisors. And so I just wanna show you how well the flex material was able to engage this tooth and to execute the movements that we had planned. So this is a teenage patient, main concern is crowding. In particular, he feels like his lateral incisor kind of sticks out a bit. So when we look at his diagnosis, he has a class two malocclusion on the left. He has a shallow overbite. He has mild maxillary and mandibular crowding and his upper left two is facially and gingivally displaced. And so our goals for him are gonna to be to improve his arch form and alignment. We're gonna get him into a class one. We're gonna work on getting more positive overbite and correcting the malalignment of that upper left two. So we're gonna start him right off the bat utilizing his aligners and some elastics. And we use the flex material for his initial series of aligners. So looking here, when we look at his initial plan or his initial malocclusion, you can see again, displacement of this tooth, shallow overbite, and a little bit of a class two malocclusion on the left. And with our treatment design, we're gonna use those nice diagonally oriented attachments on his upper twos. We're gonna utilize some horizontal attachments on the canines um, just to back up our anchorage and extruding that upper left two. 
and some other attachments to help with some of the rotational components. And here we are with his progress scan. So his first refinement, this is seven months in. So his initial trays were flex material for his first 17 trays. After that, we transitioned to the force material and we're now on tray 32. You can see it, our refinement scan, we have some posterior bite opening. Uh, we're going to need to IPR for his Bolton. So a lot of the bite opening that we're seeing in his case is likely due to an anterior interference. We're going to retract those lower incisors, get the Bolton corrected and have him wear some posterior elastics. But really the big thing to look at here with this new flex material is just the nice engagement and execution of the movement on the upper left too. And here's our initial versus our refinement scan. And here's our proposed treatment plan. So again, utilizing some posterior elastics to get that occlusion settled nicely. This next case is a really unique case in that we're opening up some space for implants for a teenage patient. And I wanted to utilize the flex material in her because as you can see, she's got some pretty decent convergence of her crowns. And so we have these really big undercuts to deal with as we're addressing her malocclusion. So when we look at this patient, her main concern is that she's missing some teeth. They were extracted some time ago and she's not really sure what to do at this point. And so we can see that she is a class two malocclusion on the right. She's congenitally missing all of her fives and all of her E's were previously removed. She has moderate maxillary spacing and severe mandibular spacing. She is undersized and tapered upper twos and she has a mandibular midline shift to the right. And so our goals for her are going to be to improve her arch form and alignment, get her into a class one occlusion, we're going to go ahead and keep the space closed for the upper right five. It's pretty well closed now. It just needs a little bit of detailing. And then we're gonna create space for her upper left five and both lower fives. We'd like to improve the torque on her incisors and we're gonna address her Bolton discrepancy with those undersized upper twos by IPRing her lower arch. So again, um, our main goals at the beginning here with our flex material is gonna to be to start uprating those tip teeth. We wanna get a better path of insertion before we transition to our force material. So we're gonna have her doing weekly aligner changes. She's gonna be on a 10 aligner interval. And on her third visit, we're gonna scan for her refinement. And so let's take a look here again at her initial malocclusion. And you can see on those lateral views, um, really that convergence of the crown. So you can imagine if you have a more rigid material, it's a little bit more difficult to insert and remove here. And here's our proposed plan. We're utilizing some bite ramps to help with our bite opening. And here we are, her refinement scan. So at this point, she's on her 27th tray, which is actually where her flex treatment ends. Um, she's a little bit behind. She had gone on vacation and left all of her trays at home except her current one. So she at least was still wearing that, but we hadn't really made progress over the last six weeks. So we decided we're gonna go ahead and scan her for a refinement anyway, and just kind of keep moving forward. We're gonna restart her treatment with flex, doing a little bit more uprating of those posterior teeth um, adjacent to the dentula spaces. And you can see we've got a lot of uprating. So we'll get just a little bit more before we transition into our force. And when we transition into our force, we're gonna start her class two bite correction with some elastics on the right side. 
And so here's a look at her progress scan. Again, we've gotten some, you know, at least initial uprating of the um, teeth adjacent to the dentulous spaces, and we've gotten some nice arch development. And here's her initial, her proposed, and her progress. And again, we're on tray 27. So we're hoping to be closer to tray 33 to 35 at this point, but we're happy with at least the progress that we've made so far. We've been able to gain a lot of the space we need for implants, um, just a little bit of fine tuning for that. And again, uprighting those teeth for a better path of insertion. And so here's our proposed plan. Again, finishing uprighting and space opening, and then our class two correction. Thank you so much for attending the presentation. Uh, just to wrap things up, you know, again, I think having these protocols in place and kind of having a clear vision for what you want to achieve with your minor patients is really helpful um, in being able to be more efficient. And it really helps your team to be able to execute your plan and for you to be able to delegate more. Don't be afraid to utilize some of your traditional things in your toolbox, um, whether it's brackets or buttons or chain. Um, as you saw in my presentation, I use all sorts of things that we traditionally use with fixed mechanics. And I just find that it's really helpful to use those auxiliaries with aligners as well. As you saw from the presentation, even some of these more challenging cases can be treated effectively. So just having that proper planning set up from the beginning. Um, I love aligners in that it has been beneficial in some of these unforeseen circumstances, whether it's a patient having to travel for work or a patient having to move or you know, some of the things that we dealt with during the pandemic, we really were able to keep a lot of these patients on track during some of these situations. Always keep learning and challenging yourselves. Um, as you can see, there's more and exciting things coming out for aligners. I just think, you know, we're going to continue to see more advances and more things that make our jobs easier as clinicians and really allow us to provide um, a really nice clinical result for our patients and to do it efficiently. Always have fun with what you're doing too. We are really uh, blessed to be able to be in the profession. We are helping patients every day and we get to, you know, make it a good time. You can see in our office, we do silly things like pretending to put braces on dolls to get our patients to feel more comfortable and um, feel good about being in the office. And we always, of course, like developing our young ones into future orthodontists. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to contact me. You can see my email address is there on the bottom. I'm always happy to answer any questions that you have. Thanks so much. Um, thank you, Dr. Dason, for the great presentation tonight. Fascinating cases. Um, I do have a few questions for you. Um, what is your experience with patient compliance and elastics? That's a great question. Uh, so a lot of what we try to do is really um, set patients up for success. And so when we're discussing aligner treatment with patients in their initial consultation, um, I let them know that it's not going to be easy just because it's you know clear and removable and all of the things that make it wonderful and aesthetic it sometimes you know, can be a little bit more work for them than traditional fixed mechanics. And so I try to make sure that we really set the right expectations because at the end of the day, I want the patient to be as successful as they can and I wanna get the best outcome I can. And so as much as I love using aligners, um, if they're not the right candidate for it from a compliance standpoint, I want to try to identify those patients right away. Now, 
you know, you can't be um, batting a thousand with it. You're not going to have every patient being super compliant, but we really do find that the majority of patients, if they understand that they're choosing this treatment modality, that they tend to be very compliant with both their aligners and with their elastics. Um, of course, if they're not being compliant, we always have the option of putting on fixed appliances. For sure. And actually, speaking of that, what type of cases do you feel they're most difficult to treat with aligners? And are there cases that you prefer to treat with braces versus aligners? So I really think, you know, probably the most difficult cases are going to be anything that's going to require a lot of um, root movement or translation. And so things like closing spaces for extractions. Um, if we're just closing like one or two extraction sites, I feel like those are not really, you know, necessarily that difficult for aligners, but if we're doing like a four bicuspid extraction, I try to set the expectation with the patients that, you know, we can do this with aligners, but we may have to finish with fixed appliances just to get that root parallelism and make sure we get the space completely closed at the end. Um, those are ones that, you know, again, I prefer to treat them with fixed appliances, but that's not always going to be what's going to be the best appliance for the patient. So we try to work through some of those things and give them options as long as their expectations are realistic and as long as they're willing to compromise with some level of fixed appliances at the end if it's needed. Yes, sir. And I love the idea of the two different materials. So, and what is the treatment philosophy when treatment planning them? Uh, clarity flex first or clarity force first and why do you choose to do that way? Yeah, so it is totally case dependent and um, I have done it different ways for different cases. I do for my adult patients prefer to start with the flex. As I mentioned during the presentation, I find that some of the patients that have some of these larger crowns, larger undercuts or embrasures, do really well with something that's more flexible and more forgiving at the beginning. I also find it's a nice way to kind of get a jump start on some of those more difficult alignment issues. And then as we transition into force, I continue, you know, with my lateral arch development and things like that. Um, there are some cases still though that, again, I think force is going to be the best appliance either the entire time through or to start with it. And so that's kind of the beauty of the system is that you as the clinician get to decide, you know, what's best for this case? What do I think is going to be most effective for these type of movements? So anything where we get more choices and what we're doing is better. Um, so I really do enjoy that about um, the choices between the flex versus force. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think that's conclude our session. So I'd like to thank you and thank 3M for bringing this wonderful session to NISO. Please visit our 3M Marketplace listing to ask any questions that you may have of them. Thank you for joining us tonight and be sure to take the test and complete the session evaluation in order to receive your CE credits for the session. Thank you and have a great night, everyone.